Hey everyone, coming up on this episode of Ayana Explains It All, I deep dive into the Muslim holy month of Ramadan. You'll learn some things, you'll laugh at some things, and some things will leave your mouth wide open. I've got some explaining to do. Let's get into it. Hey everyone, it's Ayana. No, no, okay. Welcome to episode eight of Ayana Explains It All. I think it's episode eight. It's episode eight, right? Yeah. This week, I am deep diving into the subject, the topic of Ramadan. But before I get into the topic, I wanted to say thank you to my friend Frankie for correcting me on something I said last week. I can't even believe I said this because I am such a stickler for facts. But last week I said mistakenly that the new football club formed by Natalie Portman and her actor entertainment friends was out of Portland. <laughs> it is not. Duh, dummy, Ayana. It is out of Los Angeles. Portland has a club. Los Angeles has this new club. I don't know why I thought it was out of Portland. Probably because I was thinking Portman, Portland, West Coast. Why does LA need another sports team? <laughs> but they are out of Los Angeles. Check them out. The regular season for MLS has started already. It's been full swing. So if you're near an MLS city, go ahead and check them out, especially support the women. Yay, support women! Woohoo! So now that we have got the corrections corner sorted out, I can deep dive into the exotic, wonderful, journey of fasting during the month of Ramadan, the month of Ramadan for Muslims. But really, if you want to know about Ramadan, this is for you. This is really for you. This is really for people who have no idea what Ramadan is about. They've heard it. They've heard the typical sun up to sundown, no food, no drink, but they don't know what it means. They want to understand it better. They maybe want to participate one day, you know, sympathize with a Muslim. <laughs> it is the most wonderful time of the year for Muslims. Friday for Muslims is the best day because that's the Sabbath. That's when we go to the masjid for Juma prayer. Friday's the best day. Ramadan is the best month the best time of the year, the ninth month of the Islamic calendar. It's the ninth month, but it's not always at the same time every year. The Islamic calendar follows the lunar phases of the Earth's moon. So every new moon, and I'm using quotes, every new moon starts a new month. So Ramadan is at different times of the year. This year is going to fall somewhere around the Christian holiday of Easter. 
it's been at the same time as the Christian holiday of Christmas and Hanukkah, the Jewish holiday Hanukkah. It's been during the fall, during the summer. <laughs> so there is really no Ramadan season, but this year is the first time it's probably going to be the first time in a while that we have had snow during Ramadan. So please be kind to us because us Muslims, we've been spoiled with nice warm weather during Ramadan. <laughs> it's about to get cold. The Muslims in North America, that is, it's about to get cold for us. It's snowing here when it's been warm and beautiful the last, I would say, four weeks. It's been lovely, delicious, bright. The spring equinox hit and we were all out of our winter depression. And if you live in Northeast Ohio like I do, you have been dragged back today by the freezing temperatures, the 30 and 20 degree weather, and it's so miserable. So the word Ramadan, the root of the word Ramadan is Ramad, which means scorching or burning. So Ramadan means to burn. And for Muslims, it is a time to gain righteousness by burning our sins and replacing them with good deeds. Ramadan is the best month because it is the month of revelation of the Quran. We call it the month of revelation, but that is the time when Allah revealed the Holy Quran to our beloved Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. This is a month during with during which it was introduced. It is for that reason a time that we hold very sacred. Ramadan is so sacred. It is so vital. Fasting during Ramadan is so vital that it is one of the pillars of our religion. There are five pillars of Islam. Iman, which is faith, is the first one. Salat is the second, prayer. Zakat, which is paying the poor due, is third. Fasting is fourth, and Hajj is fifth. And yes, they are in order of importance. Faith is the most important. Then prayer, then giving to the poor, then fasting, then Hajj. Fasting and Hajj are interesting because not everyone is able to do them. Not everyone is going to make Hajj. Not everyone is invited to make Hajj. Not, you can't, I mean, if, whatever the limits are. And for fasting, it's the same thing. Not everyone can fast. And I'll get to that a little bit later. But in the Quran, there are a couple of chapters, a couple of verses that are applicable here. And this comes from Surah 2. Surah means chapter. Chapter 2 is titled The Cow or Bakara. And in verses 183, through 187, law explains fasting, how to fast, what the importance of fasting is explained in this surah, in these verses. Law says in the Quran, O you who believe, fasting is prescribed for you as it was prescribed for those before you, that you may become righteous. Fast a certain number of days and him who is sick among you or on a journey, 
the same number of other days. And for those who can afford it, there is a ransom, the feeding of a man in need. But whoso doeth good of his own accord, it is better for him. And that ye fast is better for you if you only knew. The month of Ramadan is that in which in which was revealed the Quran, a guidance for the people and clear proofs of guidance and criterion. So whoever cites the new moon of the month, let him fast it. And whoever is ill or on a journey, then an equal number of other days. Allah intends for you ease and does not intend for you hardship and wants for you to complete the period and to glorify Allah for that to which he has guided you, and perhaps you will be grateful. Eat and drink until the white streak of dawn can be distinguished from the black streak. Then complete your fast until nighttime. Woo! Deep, right? Deep, man. God's words are so wonderful. Beautiful, deep. In case you didn't know, I am a religious person, okay? Let's just get that out of the way. You see the hijab and the logo. There's meaning behind it. I am Muslim. I am a religious person. I do not hold back from expressing that to people. What I am not is the extremist that you see depicted in the news media. Not an extremist. I'm also not, you know, someone who's out here on the fringe. I'm what we're supposed to be, middle of the road. I am middle of the road, Ayana. But I love God. I love practicing my religion. I love Islam. I don't mind telling people about it. I don't mind doing things from an Islamic perspective because that is my way of life. But I also don't like to get in other people's way. I understand that there are numerous religions on earth. Some people, for them, they have no concept of God. And that's their way of life. My way of life is Islam, but I also don't get in other people's way. I don't impose my beliefs on anyone. But if you want to know something about Islam, I'm going to tell you. And I know you didn't ask about Ramadan, but maybe you did. So that's why I'm here telling you this. And I want to explain these verses to you. It's just basically saying that fasting during Ramadan is important so that we can gain righteousness become closer to God, become closer to Allah, and show that we are grateful for the things that he has given us. But also, it says, if you cannot fast, then don't fast, because Allah does not want it to be a hardship for us. Allah tells us in the Quran, do not put yourselves in harm's way, do not inconvenience yourself, to worship him, to practice the religion, people will literally make themselves sick and destitute and all kinds of things and say, we're doing this for God. We're doing this because we love God. God has not ever told us to make ourselves sacrificial for him. No, he wants us to worship and obey him, but do so in a manner that makes sense. Do so in a manner where you're not, um, you know, I, I don't know if I've ever said this before, but I live on 
the east side of Cleveland. I'm, and I'm just using this as an example. I live on the east side of Cleveland, Ohio. If I want to purchase halal meat, halal is the, the, the type of meat, well, the type of food, the dietary restriction for Muslims. Halal means lawful in Arabic. If I want to buy meat that is halal, that is, that, that is, it's slaughtered according to the Islamic tradition, according to the Islamic law. If I want to purchase those meats, I have to travel 30 minutes from my house to go to the west side of the city to an Islamic meat store. And it's great. I love that we have these. But during this time when gas prices are high, ridiculously high, as much as I want to eat halal, as much as I want to observe it, I tell you, if I go to, if I have to go to the store down the street to get some ground turkey for my ground turkey chili, which I love, then that is what I'm going to do. And there are people who will disagree with that. And that's fine. But Allah does not want us to inconvenience ourselves. He doesn't want us to starve because we can't find halal meat where we are. He doesn't want us to put ourselves out. And that's because he is merciful. Now, there are people who look at God and think he is, you know, vengeful and spiteful and he's carrying all these grudges and he's not. He's carrying love for us, love and understanding kindness and mercy and he wants us to be able to live without falling on these swords daily <laughs> people people really think they're doing something when they're going to the extreme to practice their religion you're not you're just making yourself look stupid and you're taking all of these extra steps when god has already told you take the middle path please take the middle path <laughs> don't do this to yourself so, so there, but that's how it is with fasting too. Um, if you're sick and you need medicine, you're dependent on medicine, you don't fast. And there are people who will still fast, which I do not understand. God has given you this respite. He has allowed you, he has excused you thousands of years that it's been. <laughs> he has excused you from fasting. And here it is. You're still like, no, no, no. You're on your deathbed. Like, no, I will still fast. Please. No, I will fast. I have to fast. And guess what? Fasting is better for you. Okay. It is. That's why people are literally falling all over themselves, begging to fast when they shouldn't because they're dependent on medication. It's better for you. But guess what? Not killing yourself to fast is also better for you. So God gives us this, uh, you know, exchange. You can't fast on a particular day. Okay. Feed a, a poor person. Feed a poor person. Give them money so that they can go buy breakfast or lunch or dinner. You can feed an entire community of people, actually, as much as you need to to make up for these days. But also, if you're on a journey, if you're traveling, you're exempt from fasting, 
if you're, for women, if you're pregnant, menstruating, breastfeeding a baby, you're exempt from fasting. And now here, again, this is when people tend to irritate my soul, especially women. Women, we are always doing things, going the extra mile when we don't have to. Like I said, God has exempted us thousands and thousands and thousands of years in advance. If you're pregnant, if you're with child, because the fetus needs the nutrients, you do not have to fast. There are pregnant women who still fast, and it irritates me. Why are you doing this? You don't look noble. You don't look, people aren't looking at you and going, wow, that's amazing, that's wonderful. At least I'm not. I'm looking at you like, wow, you really are foolish. You really are doing this. And for what? And for what? I said last week how there's no uh, gender equality on earth. And there isn't. We already know that we're not treated equally. So why would we then go and put this extra work on ourselves? We're not impressing anyone. We're not advancing ourselves. Why do you continue to put yourselves out for what? If you're doing this because you think it's going to get you closer to God, well, I'm here to tell you, God has already told you you don't have to do it. He's excused, excused you. He loves you. He doesn't want you to fast when you're pregnant, when you're nursing. He's giving you this respite. You can go feed some poor people. There are people who, who need it, people who need it. And during Ramadan, charity, giving is one of the best ways that we earn righteousness. Givings.com. So, again, people do whatever they want to do. I'm just telling you what is, um, I don't, I don't want to say the right thing to do, but what is the preferable thing if you're sick? Like people who are diabetic and they have to have something to eat throughout the day. You know how they have to eat the six small meals or they have to take their insulin and they need sugar or they need something to do. You're exempt from fasting. It's okay. People want to participate in fasting because it's the reward for fasting is so incredible. And we want rewards from God. We want his kindness, his his mercy. We want his forgiveness of our sins. We want it so badly. But hey, God has made you in a way that you're going to have to get yours some other way. <laughs> you're going to have to find some other way. And in the Quran, it tells you, feed a poor person. And that's another category of people who are excused from fasting. If you do not have food to break your fast, then you do not have to fast. So people who are in a famine, you don't have to fast. You can't. I was uh, discussing this online on Instagram uh, yesterday. We were talking about people with eating disorders. Should they fast? Now, if you have a mental disorder and it's not well controlled, you're not in your right mind, you're infirm, you cannot fast. You're not, in, you, you're not in your right mind. You're not here. You can't do it. 
if you have an uncontrolled eating disorder and starving yourself for 15 hours sometimes a day for 30 days, is that going to exacerbate your illness? Probably. Probably. Then you don't fast. But people want to fast so badly that they will do it anyway. And I, I advise against it. I'm not an Islamic advisor, but I advise against it because your body is already in turmoil. Either your brain is in turmoil, your organs are in turmoil, and you need to eat. Or you need, you know, whatever it is you need, fasting, if it's going to keep you from that, if it's going to be a barrier, then you don't do it. Fasting should be done freely. Fasting should be done unencumbered. You should go into Ramadan unencumbered. You should go into Ramadan with enthusiasm because it is so wonderful. If you go into Ramadan thinking, oh, I hope I make it through this day because I'm fasting and I usually get sick because I need something to eat, then you're not doing it right. There is a right way to do Ramadan. If you're going in there thinking, wow, I just need to get through this day of fasting. It's only 12 hours. I know I can do 12 hours. I know if I push my medicine schedule around and I take my morning medicines at night, then uh, I'll be able to, don't do it. I have to take medicine in the morning and at night. And my medicine is, it has to be taken with food or water. So if I don't wake up early enough before the fasting day starts to take my medicine, I cannot fast because I still have to take my medicine. I cannot miss a day or all of these wacky, weird, awful things will happen in my body. And I can't go off them for 30 days. So I have to make sure that I get up every day, even if I'm just rolling over, putting the pills in my mouth and drinking water. Then that is what I have to do. I have to make sure that I get up. So yeah, you move some things around, but not to the point that your body is going to start breaking down because you're not eating, because you're not taking your medicine. So again, do what is best for you. Everyone does what is best for them, but I'm telling you, God loves you. He loves you and he doesn't want you to harm yourself to worship him. When I started fasting, I was seven years old and it was the summertime, not just the summertime, but it was summertime like 1980, I want to say five. It was hot. And this was before all, you know, global warming, when it was just hot, just like scorching 100 degree days. Every single day of the summer, oh my God, you go outside, you couldn't even breathe. So that's when I started fasting. And, you know, as a kid, when it's summertime, you're not in the house resting and sleeping. No, you're outside because your parents need you to be outside because if you are in the house, you're getting on their nerves and they don't want to deal with it. And nobody wants to be cussing and screaming when they're fasting either. So the kids are outside. We still had to go outside. 
and play. Oh my God. I remember all I wanted was a freeze pop. I just wanted a freeze pop because it was so hot. But no freeze pop because during Ramadan, no food at all, no water, no kind of drink, nothing at all. When you're fasting, that is, when you're fasting, no food or drink. So that is, yes, no water, cannot have water, cannot chew a piece of gum. If you're cooking, you can like lightly put a bit of the food on your finger to taste it has enough salt and then you spit it out. But if you purposely ingest food, then that breaks your fast and you have to make the day up. So no food, no drink. Now I have, the only time I was exempt from fasting was when I was pregnant. Like when I was pregnant with my son in 2003, that was the first time since I was seven years old that I did not fast during Ramadan. Now, of course, a woman is menstruating. She doesn't have to fast. And I was cursed with these very long periods. My periods were 10 days. So every Ramadan, it was like 10 days I didn't get to fast, you know? So there's always that, but I just remember feeling like it was so strange because you know what? No. Oh my God. I just remembered something. I just, you know what? I am so old. It's ridiculous. I remember. I didn't fast when I had my son and I was nursing him, but when I was pregnant with him, I didn't know I was pregnant. And so I still fasted. <gasps> oh my gosh. I remember that. I didn't know I was pregnant. So I still fasted. It's when I was pregnant with my daughter. I was big and pregnant <laughs> when Ramadan came and I wasn't fasting. So when I nursed my son, I didn't fast because he was, I mean, he nursed for 18 months. So, but when I was pregnant with him, I didn't know I was pregnant. So I fasted. I probably was somewhere trying to pass out, honestly, had no idea why. But when I was pregnant with my daughter in 2007, Ramadan came around. Again, it's so strange when you're not fasting and everyone around you is fasting. So you become the person who gets to taste everything. You become the taste tester for the dishes, the, the desserts, whatever. You become the person who's really helping doing the cooking because you're not going to pass out when you're in a hot kitchen cooking. You're fine. Everything's fine. But you still have to make the days up. So what I did was I fed poor people. I fed fasting people. I fed people because, you know, 30 days of Ramadan, having to make up 30 days of Ramadan is a lot, is a lot. And if you just had a baby, like my son nursed, my daughter did not nurse, but you never know when you're going to get to make up those days. If you just had a baby because, you know, you're breastfeeding. So you pay you know, for per poor person to eat. And sometimes you're feeding entire communities. Yeah. 
So, but I fasted. I have fasted during every month of the Gregorian calendar. I have fasted on my birthday. <laughs> now that is so, that is so depressing. You can't do any, you want to do stuff on your birthday. You're just like listless. You know, I was, I remember being on the couch, just like, oh, I can't. My birthday, why? I probably would have eaten a whole cake by myself, but when it was time for me to break my fast, all I had room for was cupcakes. <laughs> so I have fasted in the cold of winter. I have fasted in the heat of summer, severe rainstorms, thunderstorms. I've been married in fasting. I've been pregnant in fasting, apparently. I've been divorced in fasting. I've been depressed in fasting. I fasted in college. I fasted in law school. I remember I had a night class, I think it was, where it was a class that was like late in the afternoon. And so it was time to break fast. I would just break out my whatever little thing I had to eat and I would go on about my business. And nobody asked me why I was eating in the middle of class. And if they had, I would have told them, you know, I'm fasting. So I'm breaking my fast. Leave me alone. <laughs> but um, I've I've fasted at work. I've been, you know, without a job and fasting. I've been with abundance of things and fasting. Fasting is for all time. It is for all time. All time. There's no. There's no season. There's no. There's no. Oh, you know, oh, it's really cold outside. Maybe Ramadan's not, no, no. It's all time, every year. Um, I, I mentioned that Ramadan is the month of revelation and the Quran was revealed in 610 AD. And while it is not the first revelation, it is, according to the Islamic tradition, the last revelation to mankind and it was revealed to our beloved prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam and sallallahu alaihi wasallam means peace and blessings be upon him sallallahu alaihi wasallam peace and blessings be upon him instead of saying peace be upon him i'd rather say the arabic i know the arabic so i'm going to say the arabic but you could say, peace be upon him. And he was the last prophet and messenger for mankind. And so the Quran is his, you know, the book that Allah revealed to him. And Allah told angel Gabriel, go to him and tell him to read. And Gabriel went to him, told him to read. And he was like, uh, I can't read. <laughs> I mean, that's, he couldn't read. He was illiterate. And Gabriel said, read in the name of your Lord. And read, ikra, he said, ikra, read. Ikra bismira bikaladi kalak. I remember that. Oh my God, I'm so impressed by myself. I learned to read the Quran when I was in third grade, when I attended Islamic school for third and fourth grade, I learned the entire Arabic alphabet, all of the, the, the sounds, everything. And we were tasked with memorizing the Quran, not just memorizing, but reading and memorizing. 
and knowing Islamic phrases, how to pray in Arabic. And it was just, I'm glad that I got that early, even though my brain is sometimes, and I forget things. I remember a lot. I remember a lot. I still pray in Arabic, obviously. But some of the reading of the Quranic Arabic has been lost to me, which is unfortunate. And when I was in college, I took Arabic and I thought it was going to be a little difficult for me. And it wasn't. I mean, I got an A, <laughs> of course. But I would love to do that again. I would love to do it again. If I made time for it, I probably could, but I'm so freaking busy. Mashallah. So Gabriel went to our beloved prophet. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and he said, read, and he was like, I can't read. And he commanded him to read again, and he read. And he read. He read the verses, those first verses that were revealed to him. And in the Quran, the timing of the revelation of the Quran was a special night. So the revelation took place on a night called the Night of Power. And that occurs during Ramadan, the night of power or Laylatul Qadr, the night of power is the night on which the Quran was revealed. And during Ramadan, Laylatul Qadr takes place in the last 10 days of the month. So the month is 30 days. Laylatul Qadr happens in the last 10 days. We don't know the exact day. But we are told to look for it on an odd night. And so on the odd nights of the last 10 days, most of us are up, like up. We don't even, we don't sleep. We stay up and we're praying, we're reading the Quran, and we're seeking this night because that night is better than it is better than a thousand months. It's better than anything else. It's when God's, well, I'll just read it. I'll read it from the Quran. It says in the Quran, chapter 97, verses one through four, Allah says, we have revealed it in the night of power. And what will explain to you what the night of power is? The night of power is better than a thousand months. Meaning, Allah's forgiveness, his kindness, his mercy are at their highest on this night. So you ask for whatever. And either you're, you'll get it or you won't. But you know that when you hope that you'll get it, but you're also realistic. You're not going in there like asking, oh, I want $6 billion. You're realistic about what you want. And you go in there with the hope why am I saying go in there? You go to God with the hope that he will give you whatever you ask for because he can do that. He's the only one who can do it. His power is greater than anybody's. You're not manifesting anything. That's silliness. You're praying. You're asking God for it because he's better than you. He's better than everybody. He's better than this entire earth. And only he can give you whatever it is you ask for. If it's for you. He can also forgive all of your sins. He can also show you mercy if you're not feeling well. God, please heal me. Whatever it is you need on the night of power, it's at its highest. So you ask for it. You seek out the night of power. You 
ask for what it is you want. You hope that God will give it to you. And inshallah, he bestows it on you. Or maybe he holds it back because it's not good for you. Because again, God is all knowing, all seeing. He knows what you don't know. The Quran was revealed over a period of 23 years. It wasn't like the entire Quran was revealed on that one night and that was it. No, it was revealed over a period of years. And Ramadan, the verses about Ramadan and fasting were revealed in the latter half of those 23 years. So there were about, I want to say 12 years before fasting and Ramadan were even uh, a practice. And then Allah revealed those verses that I read earlier about fasting and it became the practice. It became the practice of the Muslims immediately. Every time Allah revealed verses to our beloved prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he went to his people and he said, this is what it is. This is what it's going to be. And that was it. That's what it was. For a time, people were, you know, people were Muslim and they had embraced Islam, but they were still, you know, gambling and drinking and verses were revealed about gambling and drinking. And that was it. No more gambling. No more drinking. That was it. Immediately, people stopped doing what, you know, whatever the heck it is they were doing. Now, fasting, fasting, the way the fasting day goes is, I know people hear the sun up to sundown, you fast from sun up to sundown, but it's really, <laughs> it's kind of a little bit trickier than that. Okay. It's like, there is the morning prayer, okay? Fajr is the morning prayer. Fajr is usually just before sun up. So the line of teaching most Muslims follow is that the fasting day begins 15, like you end your eating 15 minutes before the first prayer starts. So 15 minutes before Fajr comes in, before the Adhan of Fajr is called, you have to stop eating, right? But in the Quran, it says when you can distinguish the darkness from the daytime. And some people interpret that as if you can tell that it's daytime, then you start fasting. If you can look outside and tell that it's not nighttime anymore, like your brain, it clicks in your head. You look outside, you see like just a little streak of white, you know, then it's daytime, stop fasting. Because there are places where literally the, it's always nighttime or you can't, you just, you can't tell. You don't have the means to tell because you don't have a calendar. You don't have a gadget like we have um, apps on our phone that tell you the time uh, for the prayer, wherever you are on, in the world. If you don't have things like that, but if you look outside and you see that it's daytime, then you know to start your fasting, stop eating. And again, same thing for nighttime. I have an app that tells me when the sun is setting, that tells me when the nighttime prayer is coming in, Maghrib when the nighttime prayer is coming in. So I could just, I rely on that app. It's accurate to my region, to my city even, my zip code even. 
And so it calls the Adhan. We break our fast. Now we are told to hasten to break our fast. You're not supposed to extend your fast. Again, God loves you, doesn't want you killing yourself to worship him. No, quite the contrary. The fast is over. The fast is over. Eat the food. Eat, you know, drink your coffee. I love having Ramadan pushes my coffee drinking tonight. And for some reason, I am not. It doesn't make me like alert to the point that I cannot go to sleep. But I love when the when I break my fast, I have a nice cold brew drink. Some people stop drinking their coffee for Ramadan. I cannot do that. And I will not do that. I just switch it tonight. It doesn't, it, I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm just so used to drinking coffee. Maybe, um, I don't know. I just drink it for the flavor anyway. I love the taste of coffee. And I'm not going to go on a coffee rant because <laughs> that would take forever. But some people switch when they drink coffee. I, I drink it at night during Ramadan. Um, so yeah, when it's nighttime, the sun is down, it's my grip, break your fast. Whatever you couldn't do during the day because you were fasting, like sex, no sex acts during uh, fasting, no kissing, no intercourse, no, you know, feeling up the nipples, none of, <laughs> none of that. There's uh, also no foul language, you know, no cussing. No arguing, no fighting, and you will have people who will test that. Absolutely. You will have people who will test your gangster. <laughs> what are you fasting? What do you say to them? I am fasting. Please walk away. Leave me alone. I'm not going to fight with you. I'm not going to argue because if I do, that'll break my fast. And I've already fasted for 12 hours. I just have one hour left. It would be a shame. If I threw away those 12 hours, I have fasted already by cussing you out. So I'm just going to walk away or you're going to walk away. Please and thank you. But when the sun goes down, I'm not saying that people get wild and crazy, but the we call it iftar, the, the sundown meal. People get happy. I mean, they're happy. They're eating. You know, it's kind of like a party. People get dressed up and they go to each other's houses and we go to the masjid. We have feasts. I mean, we just feast. There's so much food. And of course, the first day of fasting, everybody's really hungry, right? Everybody is so hungry. And then as the 30 days go on, the days go on, like probably day 21, I'll say, your stomach has adjusted to the fast, and so it shrinks. Your stomach shrinks to accommodate how much food you're giving it. It gets used to it. So if you're only giving it one meal a day, it gets used to that. So when you go for these big feasts at like day 21, you're eating just little nibbles. You're, you're drinking water. You're, okay, we break our fast with dates. Love dates. I'm allergic to them, actually. Not like severely, but they set my mouth on fire. <laughs> so I'll probably put them in a smoothie or something because for some reason, once once they're broken down, there's something about, my daughter had this allergy, this this fruit allergy when you would, 
you eat fruit and it just makes your mouth itch. Like you can feel the itch in your ears. She had that for the longest time. She seemed to uh, have outgrown it. But for both of us, dates, like dates just totally make me want to reach my hand in my mouth and just scratch my tongue. Which is, it's unfortunate because our beloved prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, broke his fast with dates. And so that is the tradition of Muslims. We're breaking our fast with dates. But if I put it in a smoothie or probably if I heated it up in the microwave, maybe that would break down whatever causes me to itch and I would be fine. But yeah, some dates, we break our fast. And like I said, day 20, when your stomach is so small, <laughs> you have just like a light salad and some water. And then you go to pray and that's it. But in the beginning, like you're eating everything when the sun goes down, your eyes are bigger than your stomach. Grocery shopping when you're fasting is the worst because you buy a bunch of food. We buy so much food. And then after about two weeks, there are so many leftovers because you're not eating during the day. So you're skipping lunch. You would usually eat the leftovers for lunch. So there's so many leftovers. And then there's all this food that you purchase at the grocery store because you're so hungry. You go to the grocery store when you're hungry and you buy everything. You think, oh, when the sun goes down, I'm going to eat this entire Intamin's cake loaf. <laughs> I'm going to eat all these cookies. And then I'm going to have some orange juice and pancakes. And, you know, I'm going to have like a uh, 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 steak and when the sun goes down, you're like, oh, I'll just have just this, you know, I'll just have this small salad and I'm going to, you know, uh, pray and then take a nap maybe. But yeah, that's one of the things that Ramadan shows us is how much we eat every day. Like it, it at least does that for me. I notice the times when I get hungry. And what I reach for, and then I remember, no, you're fasting. And then I look at what's left over in my refrigerator or what's, you know, stacking up in the pantry. And I'm like, wow, we really do eat a lot of food during the day. And so I reflect on that and it has caused me to change my behavior a bit. I don't snack as much as I have in the previous years because the older you get, the harder it is to lose that bulge. So I don't snack as much. But there's that's also one way to kind of prepare your brain for fasting. Like you can never really prepare yourself for it because you have to dive right into it. There's no easing into Ramadan. That first day, it's not like um, you know, people do intermittent fasting where you you don't eat for 12 hours and then you eat breakfast at like noon and you eat for the rest of the day and you stop at a certain time. I mean, it's not, it's not like that because Ramadan is all day, all day, no eating, no drinking, nothing. You can't have anything, not even a piece of gum. If you're doing it in intermittent fasting, you could have some water. You could have, you know, a mint or a piece of candy. Ramadan, you cannot do that at all. So, again, it shows you how much you're eating. If you're overeating, if you're overindulging in things, like you can't have a cigarette, you can't vape, you can't pull out your weed pen, 
you can't, uh, you know, do any of those things that you like to enjoy during the day. It's all put to the side because you're fasting. And then you find that you don't even really need this stuff. Like Ramadan is good at helping us to break bad habits. Like oh, one of my bad habits is that I like to swear. I mean, I don't like to swear. I just do it. <laughs> when I'm fasting, I'm not swearing. Okay. And I'm also not getting angry and upset, which I don't really do anyway. I mean, unless I'm driving. That's the other thing. Fasting and driving. Because when I'm driving is one of the only times when I will lose it. Absolutely lose it on a person. And so I have to be mindful. I have to remind myself, okay, Ayana, in the car now, you're about to go on the road. Remember that you are fasting. Remember that you, I feel like I need like a subliminal thing playing in my car that it just goes through my head where it becomes subconscious that I'm, I remember you're fasting. Remember you're fasting. Remember you're fasting. During Ramadan, because it is so important that we fast unencumbered, this is going to sound strange to people who don't practice Islam, <laughs> but Allah removes the devil, the shaitan. He removes the shaitan. He removes the shaitan from our path. He removes him, locks him up. He's gone. He removes the shaitan. So we're able to fast so freely and easily because we're not having to be um, tortured really by the shaitan, his whispers him, you know, telling us to do things that we shouldn't do, say things that we shouldn't say. We're allowed to fast without that weight on us. And a lot of Muslims, you know, we, we go, well, you know, if you end up doing something stupid during Ramadan, that's just who you are. Because the sh shaitan isn't around, and that's just you. Yeah, but no, because here's what happens. The shaitan knows he's he's about to be locked up. He knows it's his time. He knows, you know, uh, the guards are coming for you, brother. Sir, you piece of crap. The, the guards are coming. They're going to lock you up. No bail, no court hearing. <laughs> so what does he do? He tries to sow as much discord as he possibly can in the weeks leading up to the start of Ramadan. He puts plans in motion that you will see unfold during Ramadan. And so when we say, oh, that's just you, that's not, you know, there's no shaitan. But really, it could be him because he puts things into motion with people. He, you know, sits, sets, puts whispers, puts ideas in your head that for some reason, you end up carrying out during Ramadan. So it, it is, it is, but it isn't. You know, it's you, but it's not really because maybe you were subject to some whisper. You got it in your head about something and you carried that with you into Ramadan. It's unfortunate, but because we know this, then we can be mindful 
when we're engaging in any kind of harsh talk with someone or we're um, doing something that perhaps maybe we shouldn't do or that is hurtful or harmful to ourselves or to other people, understand that the shaitan is trying to get as many people as possible. Number one, that that's the devil's job to get as many people on under his thumb as possible. But number two, there are times when that's even more so, and the weeks leading up to Ramadan is one of those times. So we just have to be mindful that if you're seeing increased ugliness from people, ah, Ramadan is about to start, and the shaitan is trying to take down as many of us as possible. Now, I know that sounds spooky and weird and whatever, but this is Islam. This is, this is what it is. And I'm just here to explain it, to help you understand, so that we have to be mindful. Now, during Ramadan, one of the things Muslims love to do, we're encouraged to do, is pray in congregation. Um, when Ramadan was first instituted in, in, uh, in the Muslim community uh, during the time of our beloved prophet, his companions, the Sahaba, noticed that he would stay up late. Late, late, like praying, 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 praying. That's, that was what he did during Ramadan. He would pray and pray and pray and pray and pray into the night, into the early morning. And so that, that extra prayer that he would do during Ramadan called Tarawih is what Muslims do. And it's 20 rakats of prayer. And usually what happens is Muslims converge on the masjid. Like, I mean, hundreds, some places, hundreds of Muslims converge on their masjid. We stand together. You know, we probably have broken our fast together. because Sometimes there's food. Hey. And we pray. We pray 20 sets of two. 20 sets of two. And during the Tarawih, because Ramadan is the month of revelation of the Quran, the entire Quran is recited by the person leading the prayer. So the first night of Tarawih, they start with the first chapter of the Quran. There are 114 chapters, and the Quran is divided into 30 parts. 30 parts. 30 days of Ramadan. So during prayer, they start at the very first part, the very first chapter, I mean, the very first chapter. And towards the end of Ramadan, they've usually gone through the entire Quran. They usually have done a recitation of the entire Quran, and they'll just start over until Ramadan is over, until the last night of Ramadan. And Muslims are also encouraged strongly to read the Quran during Ramadan, the entire thing. And so, like I said, 30 parts, 30 days, you do a part a day. I mean, it's so enlightening and informative and beautiful and wonderful that it's not a hardship at all. It's not a hard thing. I mean, during the day, what are you doing during the day? Well, I mean, I work. But, you know, what are you doing late into the night? You're praying. You have time to read the Quran. 
pray, read the Quran, and then you do it all over again the next day. And then you do it for 30 days. And now, during Ramadan, zakat, the poor do, is increased exponentially because we're trying to gain righteousness. We're trying to get closer to Allah. We're trying to gain his favor. And so giving to the poor is something that is incumbent upon us. We give a certain amount of our income each year, but we also give a certain amount of zakat during Ramadan to our masjid and the masjid can distribute it to the poor, to the needy in the community, or we can give it to them, you know, just give people money. Yeah, just give people money. If you know someone who is struggling, you give them money. That's it. Remember, zakat is the third pillar of our religion. That's how important it is. You give to the poor. You don't, I mean, and, and poor means whatever it means where you're at. You don't judge. Somebody could be having a hard month. Somebody, you know, could be having a hard year, a hard life, whatever. You give it to them. And you expect, you know, you expect Allah's blessings to return on you because of your giving. You, sh you should expect it. That's why we do it. Because we know that Allah has promised us. We know that Allah has told us, if you do this, you get the good. So we do it. I mean, you know, it's, it's better to give freely. Absolutely. Better to give freely. Absolutely. You should want to give. You should be doing this anyway. But during Ramadan, we do it even more. Because the blessings for it are increased. Now, <clears throat> talked about how <laughs> this is always the funniest part of Ramadan. And I funny haha, but also funny sad because people can't agree on this one thing, and that is when does it start? Now we have it marked on our Islamic calendars. I have a calendar in my kitchen. It has a day on there of when they think Ramadan should be starting. Because of the lunar, the phases, it's 10 days earlier every year. 10 days earlier every year. It's 10 days earlier than the previous year every year. Okay. You have to, you cannot start it until it is the new moon phase. That like little baby sliver moon phase of the moon. That's the moon's new phase. You can't start it until that's sighted. Now, the sighting is different, obviously, for different regions of the world. You know, there are people who are at the top of Earth. There are people who are at the bottom. There are people who are on the left side, the right side, the mid, whatever. It's different for everybody. So, but Ramadan starts the same day for everyone. Even if people are 12 hours ahead, they're experiencing life 12 hours ahead of us. If Ramadan starts for them on April 2nd, it starts on April 2nd for us too. But, 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 but. 
the, I don't want to say correct, but the proper way to do it is that you, you have to cite the moon in your region. You cite the moon in your region. Some people interpret that to mean you have to cite it with your own naked eye in your own backyard, which, you know, if it's a, qu a cloudy day, you ain't seeing shit, but you have to cite it with your own eye in your backyard. If the new phase of the moon is sighted in North America, <laughs> it's sighted in North America. The, the moon isn't going to get any more or any less uh, new if you see it in your backyard. It's the same moon for, it's the same moon for everyone. So if on April 2nd, they sighted the new moon in Saudi Arabia or April 1st, the night of April 1st, they sighted the new moon in Saudi Arabia. Then the first day of fasting is the next day, April 2nd. So it's the same moon. <laughs> it's, what I'm to, it's what I'm trying to get through to people. But people do whatever they want. I mean, use your common sense, please, for goodness sakes. Use your common sense. Go with your local masjid if you, you know, everybody's doing it on that day, do it on that day. But this thing where we're starting it on April 1st, April 2nd, and April 3rd is ridiculous. It should not be that way because we understand science. We're not dumb to science, although some people are dumb to science. If the moon is spotted April 1st at night, oh, look, there's the new phase of the moon. Then the next day is the first day of fasting. It's not a different moon for people who are in a different country. It's the same moon. So if they're getting the new moon there, guess what? We're getting it here too. They're just 12 hours ahead of us. They're seeing it earlier because they're closer. Their region is seeing it earlier because that's where the earth is facing. But again, people do whatever they want. I always say, use your common sense. Use your common sense, please, people. I hate it every year when we have to do this arguing and this back and forth. And so because we're not all starting Ramadan on the same day. That means we're not all ending Ramadan on the same day. So there are people who have Eid on one day and then people who have Eid the next day. But you know what? Only Allah knows why we are like this. And may Allah be, be pleased with us for trying to get it right, for trying to be as precise as we possibly can. Because we are only human and we are doing our very best with the dumb human brains that we have. With these dumb, limited, limited brains. And speaking of limited brains, limited knowledge, people wrongly assume that Ramadan is new to the United States. And by new, I, I mean like 1970s, you know, the explosion of the, the black nationalist movement and suddenly the visibility of Muslims and Malcolm X and et cetera. No, no, Islam is not new to the United States. 
In fact, Islam is very old. Ramadan is very old to the United States. Ramadan is one of the oldest religious practices. Fasting during Ramadan is one of the oldest religious practices of North America, of the New World. Now, this story, you take it however you want, but <laughs> the Spanish slave Estebanico, known to his parents, probably, as Mustafa Azamuri, was a West African slave sold to Spanish noblemen in Spain in about the year 1521. Now, this information comes from Wikipedia. Love my Wikipedia. Cite your sources. Wikipedia. So he was uh, captured by Spain in about 1521 from the sub-Saharan African region, West Africa, probably somewhere in Morocco. Um, and he was taken on the Spanish Narvaez expedition to explore La Fro Florida, La Florida and all unexplored lands to the north and west, including North Mexico. And for that reason, people call him the great African because he was one of the first black people to explore the area now known as Mexico. And he was probably Muslim because the region he was captured from, those people were Muslim. They were Muslim. They practiced Islam. They, you know, observed Ramadan, they fasted during Ramadan. So he was probably Muslim, which means that Islam is one of the oldest indigenous religions in the United States, in North America, rather. It's one of the Ramadan, fasting during Ramadan is one of the indigenous religious practices to North America. Which means that we've been, <laughs> we've been doing this here, but because of American slavery, slaves like Estebanico were not necessarily allowed, I say allowed in quotes, to practice their religion. They were forced to change, in his case, to likely Catholicism, but in every other case, when black slaves were brought to the U.S., I mean, to North America, it wasn't the U.S. until much, much, much later. But when they were brought here, they were forced to convert to Christianity. Now, when I was a kid, during Ramadan, we were not allowed to watch television. Like, we were banned from watching TV while we were fasting. And... um I'm, we had cable, but it was like, you know, five channels of cable. So there really wasn't much to watch anyway, but we would watch the news or we were allowed to watch Islamic videos. Like we would watch movies like, um, oh goodness, I can't even remember the name of it, but there's one called The Messenger. And then there's another one called, um, I can't remember the name of it. But we were also allowed to watch educational things 
And my mother was a connoisseur of Black history education. She was also a history teacher. And one of the things we watched was Eyes on the Prize, the PBS special Eyes on the Prize, this exhaustive Black history retrospective. I mean, just amazing, wonderful. And it taught about so many things. We were also allowed to watch Roots. And one of the things I was so surprised with the first time I watched Roots was that it shows Alex Haley going back to tracing his family uh, line all the way back to Kunta Kente in West Africa. And when they get back there, they're Muslim. When he gets, when he goes back to the village and et cetera, he discovers that his people are Muslim. Kunta Kente, his family was Muslim. So that's where I first learned that, oh, the black American slaves were Muslims. They were Muslims. They were taken from West Africa, a region heavily populated by Muslims, but Nigeria, Ghana, Senegal, those are Muslim countries. Well, Nigeria really isn't a Muslim country. It's like half Muslim, half, half Christian. But I was like, oh, wow, the Blacks. So why, why weren't they allowed? Why weren't they Muslim then? When, you know, you see Alex Haley, you see Kunta Kinte going on to, you know, to Alex's great-grandfather and his grandfather. I'm like, okay, why? Because they were not allowed to practice their religion. They were forced into the religion of their slave master. So if the slave master was likely Christian, that's what the slaves were. But even though they were forced to convert, some of them maintained their Islamic practices. They maintained reading and reciting of the Quran, and they also maintained fasting during Ramadan. Yeah, the slaves fasted. They probably had to do it in secret. But... According to the article, Africa, African slaves were the first to celebrate Ramadan in America, published by The Root and authored by Khalid Beydoun. So according to this article, an estimated 600,000 to 1.2 million Muslims were brought to the New World as slaves from West Africa. And although many were forced to convert to Christianity, Many kept their Islamic teachings and memorization of the Holy Quran and managed to perform daily prayers and observe Ramadan despite being forced to work hard labor under miserly conditions. So Islam is an indigenous religion. There you go. As the article points out, Islam is the pursuit of spiritual freedom. Yes, that's what it is, is the pursuit of righteousness. It is the pursuit of getting closer to God, which connects us to our Black Americans. As the article points out, Islam is the pursuit of spiritual freedom, which connects us Black Americans to our slave ancestors' pursuit of physical freedom and equality. Imagine, imagine fasting as a slave. Woo, subhanAllah. There are over 3 million Muslims in the United States. 
We are not a large population of people here. No, we are not. And most of the Muslims in the United States identify as black. So outside of, I believe, Malaysia has the most Muslims in the entire world. Black Americans make up the largest race of Muslims outside of Malaysians. We are the largest population, Black Americans. And that is because, for many reasons, um, immigration, again, slavery, but also people matriculated through the Nation of Islam into mainstream Islam, and Islam just grew. Islam grows, I mean, in, in the prison populations too, we know it's heavy. So it's good that we know where we started, that this isn't new. We're not new to this. As I said, there are over 3 million Muslims in the U.S. And we are typically congregated near large metropolitan cities, such as New York City, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Chicago, Philadelphia, Cleveland, Detroit, Washington, D.C. has so many Muslims. And then parts of New Jersey. New Jersey, I think, has the largest population of Muslims in this country. I think I'm going to have to, to double check that. I think I remember reading that it was New Jersey. But it might be Washington, D.C. But then again, it might be, might be parts of Michigan. I'm going to have to check that and get back to you guys and let you know what that is. But um, so one would think again that because Ramadan is an indigenous religious practice that Islam being an indigenous religion to this, to this continent, one would think that people would know more about Ramadan and fasting, but they do not. And I still get so many questions about what we are to do, what we're allowed to do, what we're not allowed to do, if we can have water. There are so many people who still ask if we can have water or a piece of gum. I'm here to tell you right now that no. I mean, I'll take your gum and I'll save it for later when I break my fast. If you want to offer me a bottle of water, I'll save it for later when I break my fast. But I cannot drink water. Yes, I have to. If I have a hard labor job, I have to do that job while I'm fasting. There are athletes who do their jobs while fasting. They do the practices. They do the games while fasting. If you're, you know, a physician and you're in surgery, you're fasting. If you're like me and you've been sitting at home for two years working from home, you're fasting. But as I've said before, I have worked in all kinds of and lived through all kinds of conditions while fasting. And so there are people who always have questions like, you know, when a woman is menstruating, she does not have to fast. 
She's not allowed to fast. She's forbidden from fasting. Can't fast, can't pray. But there are women who still are not comfortable with letting people know that they bleed. <laughs> like what? I, you know, period secrecy is so stupid to me. I mean, I get it. Women are shy for people to know that we are bleeding to death. Uh, like me, sometimes 10 days out of the month. And so we don't want people to know. But when you're fasting and you have to suddenly stop fasting in the middle of the month or at the beginning of the month, people want to know, hey, um, why are, aren't you supposed to be fasting? Like, And so when I would get those questions, I would think, okay, I'm not going through this next year. So I would hide. Like if I was in my office, I would hide the fact that I was eating. <laughs> I would be hiding for people. So I didn't have to explain why, when I'm supposed to be fasting, am I now eating this delicious big sandwich in the middle of the day? You don't want to have to explain to people, oh, it's because I have my period. Oh, that's why. And so you want to tell people to mind their business, but at the same time, you've shared with them that you're fasting because you don't want them offering you food, and then suddenly you're not fasting. So you tell them, and so, yeah, okay, people have to know that you're on your period. Okay, whatever. So what? This is what women go through. This is who we are. We're menstruators. We're period pushers. <laughs> what? We are, this is what we do. So people know, I mean, so what, what are you going to do? What are they going to do? Stay away from you? Oh, okay. Thanks. So, <laughs> but there's all, even within our own families, like there's, I know people joke about it a lot, but it's really serious that there are women, girls who don't want the men in their family to know that they're menstruating for whatever reason. And so they'll eat in secret or women don't want their kids to see them, uh, not fasting and ask mommy why she's not fasting. And so we'll eat in secret, which is really just a shame. You shouldn't have to do anything in secret. I mean, God excuses us. He excuses us. I mean, we're forbidden from fasting. It's not like we can, oh, we can fast if we wanted to. No, we can't. So in the stigma, in the shame, please, please, for the love of God, end the stigma about menstruating. It is so ridiculous. It is so stupid. Unless we have surgery to remove the entirety of our reproductive organs, we are going to bleed once a month for a week. Some of us bleed for 10 days. It's just what we do. And we shouldn't have to hide the fact that we do it. We shouldn't have to hide the fact that we are on our periods. We shouldn't have to feel in fear. We shouldn't have to feel like we're lesser people. I mean, I know it can weaken you because if you're a heavy bleeder, then the blood loss leads to loss of iron. And so you probably have developed anemia like I've developed anemia because my periods are heavy. And so I have to take supplemental iron and, you know, maybe your body isn't absorbing the iron very well. And so you're still weak. And so there are all these things that go along with it, which is nobody's business. But also, I'm not going to hide anything for anybody. I'm not doing it. I'm sick of this. This is who we are. This is what we do. And you either listen to us when we tell you what's going on. 
and accommodate us or you leave us the hell alone. But also, you know, leave us the hell alone. Leave us to our business. Women should not be made to feel like we have to hide what is naturally occurring with us. And during Ramadan, this is so prevalent. It's like you almost don't want people to know that you're fasting because then you have to explain why you're not fasting. Like if I'm, you know, if I'm sick, I, I have to explain, oh, well, I'm sick and I'm, oh, well, I'm traveling. Oh, well, oh, well. Like people, mind your business, but also if you see a person who says it's Ramadan and they're fasting and then one day they're not fasting, it's probably for a very good reason. So lock that into your brain. It's probably for a very good reason. And then just move along. Move along. Move along to your Googles. Then type in, why would someone not be fasting during <laughs> Or you can listen to this podcast, Ayana Explains It All, about Ramadan, and then you'll know all about it. If you're an employer and you have employees who are fasting, in order to accommodate them, if you want, I mean, you don't have to. But if you're a kind employer, you ask them, hey, you're fasting. What do you need? You would do the same for someone who is a handicapped, for someone who, you know, Jewish people have fasting days. Christians have Lent. You're not going to serve them meat on Friday. You're going to be like, hey, we're doing this fish fry. If you want to accommodate people, you ask them what their needs are. My employer has never asked me what my needs are, but they have also never stopped me from or hindered me when I'm fasting. I'm fasting. That's it. I also can pray in my office. There are some people who can't even, their employer doesn't offer any accommodations for them to pray. I have a personal office. I can close the door and pray and that's the end of it. So ask your employees. If you're an employer, ask your employees what their needs are. Some people will say nothing. They'll just go, oh, you know what? I can handle it. I've been doing this. I'm good. Or you might have someone who's new to Islam who just started. This is their first Ramadan and they need some assistance. Oh, well, I might need a um, couple minutes when the sun goes down to break my fast and then pray. So just give me like 20 minutes. Can I just take my break at the end of the, you know, when the sun goes down, instead of taking it at whatever time, can I just take it when the sun goes down? You know, accommodate them because it's not, it's not easy. Fasting is not easy, but also being in a world where the majority of people are not Muslim. If you're in the Muslim world, this isn't an issue. I mean, everything stops <laughs> if people are fasting. In the Muslim world, I mean, everything stops. And then when the fast is broken, everything is, you know, people are out, they're eating, they're feasting, everything's great. But here in the United States, we don't have that luxury. The world doesn't stop for us here. So we have to ask for accommodations. And Muslims, please do not be afraid to ask. You might even have something in your contract. You might even be in a union and your union can back you up. Like I remember having to ask for um, religious time off. 
because at the end of at the end of the fasting month, there's Eid. There's the big holiday celebration that we have at the end of the month. And my employer, you know, you get off for certain holidays, government bank holidays, and you get off for Christmas, obviously, but you don't get off for Eid. So I had to ask them, what is your policy? Because I know that you offer religious time off for people. So what's the policy? It's called religious comp time. And they allow you to work so many hours over your regular time. You can put it into a bank or you can take an advance of hours and you just pay it back. They want it to be easy for you. They want to be fair to everyone. And so whoever needs religious comp time can take religious comp time. It's not just for Muslims. It's for whoever needs it. Um, so that's one way employers can accommodate is to allow people to have a certain number off of hours off for their holiday. Our holiday, like I said, Ramadan is at irregular times of the year for the Gregorian calendar followers. So, I mean, Eid might be in August. It might be in February. Let people have a day off to go celebrate with their families. If you're in school, I remember being in, being at Notre Dame and fasting and people would ask me all the time, oh, how come you're not eating? Oh, you're not eating. You know, it's fine. It's fine if I have to explain it a million times. It's fine. It's fine. I don't mind. In college, I don't mind. In college, I didn't mind because I was new to that world. And I, I understood there were a lot of people who just had no idea what was going on. And so I would explain it to them. But the older you get, the more tired you get at explaining it. And it's like, people, come on. You should know these things about Islam. The United States has been into the Middle East for wars. So many wars. Why do you not know this about Muslims? And see, this was a, the one thing that just PO'd me when it came to Afghanistan and Iraq, those invasions, those wars. You have your country there fighting against Muslims. Why do you not know what Muslims do? Why do you not know the traditions of these people, their languages? Why do you not know you know, how they conduct their marriages, how they, you know, you don't know anything about these people, but you're in their face. You're in their country, killing them, capturing them. Yeah, I know, war on terror, blah, blah, blah. But, but if you want to defeat or you want to overtake this enemy, you need to know about them. And back home, all people knew about, you know, Muslims back home. Oh, look at them goat farmers, them ragheads, them sand in words and da, da 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 Just ignorance, just plain ignorance. And they think it's funny. There's nothing funny about being ignorant. You just look like an ass. And many people before me have made themselves look like an ass because they think they're funny with their little jokes about, you know, Muslims and praying and camels and shit. No, the shit isn't funny. It's not funny. Being ignorant is not funny. It's not cute. It's not desirable. In fact, it is very undesirable. 
And in fact, it is the reason why I do this podcast, because I am sick of people parading around in ignorance, being happy to be ignorant, being happy to have no knowledge whatsoever, or to have incorrect knowledge about things. You should not take pride in ignorance. You should want to know as much about a thing as possible. You should want to be armed to the teeth with knowledge so that you're not going into workplaces, relationships, friendships, a neighborhood. You buy a house in a neighborhood. You want to know more about the people. You should know things about people. You should know things about yourself, about your history. Did you know that a lot of Black African slaves were Muslim and that they were not allowed to practice their religion and that some of them kept their religion and some of them fasted? I mean, when was the first slave brought here? 1619. Estevanico was in North Mexico 100 years before then. We've been here. We've been doing this. Why do you not know this? Is a question you should be asking yourself. And I hope that what I have brought to you today has helped you to understand more about Ramadan and more about Islam. And so that if you have a Muslim friend or neighbor or loved one, you can say, hey, you know, I listened to this podcast on Ramadan. <laughs> and this woman said that you guys like to break your fast with dates. And so I bought you some dates to break your fast with. Or she said that you guys are really kind of, you're peaceful and chill during the day and you'd like to be kept from aggravation. So what I'm going to do is not aggravate you. You know, show that you understand. Show that you care, even just a little bit. Employers, schools, families, neighbors, you know. I know we all can get kind of, um, what's the word? We can get kind of standoffish with each other. We can be insular. We can close ourselves off to people. But when you're out there in the world, even when you're online, even when you're online, you want people to know. You want people to know that you understand. Even if it's not your religious practice, that you understand, you recognize it. And this, you recognize that this thing is impacting them at this particular time. Maybe they're going to be a little bit off during Ramadan. Maybe they'll be just fine. There are people who their concentration is sharper, much more sharp during Ramadan. There are people who are much more wittier, funnier when they're fasting. Their brain is not focused on the, the trimmings of life, the good, the, the, the food and the sex and all the, the celebrations and music and TV. Their brain is free from that. And so it's so much more sharp. They can focus better. They can pay attention better. They work harder. They have, um, they're more eager. Me, I get so tired. And it's not because, I mean, I drink a lot of water when I'm not fasting. So if I can't have water, like all I'm thinking about is water. When I can't have water, all I think about is water. And I get so tired. I get so freaking tired. 
I'm not as sharp. I'm not one of those people whose attention and focus gets better. I do tend to get more creative during Ramadan for some reason. But mostly I'm just tired and I, I, I don't want to be aggravated. I don't want to be bothered. So if you call me and I don't feel like talking, then it is what it is. Don't take anything personally from us. Don't take anything personally. I remember my first day at um, the law firm, right out of law school. I worked for a law firm in Toledo. And it was my first day as an associate. And um, it was during Ramadan and I was fasting. And they had invited me to a luncheon. They wanted to have a luncheon for me. They wanted to do you know, introduce me to everyone and say, hi, hi, where are you from? Do icebreakers and shit. And I said, I can't, I can't, I'm fasting. I'm fasting. I'm not eating during the day. And that's just the end of it. And I remember the reaction was, oh, okay. Almost like they were put out, almost like they were how, how do we, how do we react to this? How do we, she's Muslim? She's fasting? What is, what, it, what, huh? There's a culture. There's the law firms, there's a culture. And that culture is you wine and dine people. You wine and dine with each other. You go along to get along. You kiss a lot of ass. You get a lot of business. You're always getting business. You're always schmoozing. Always. And that's where you fit into. You're wearing a suit every day. You're working 15 hours a day sometimes. That's where you fit into. I did not fit into that. I used to get invited to happy hours. Even when I was a summer associate, I would get invited to happy hours. And I'm like, people, I do not drink alcohol. I don't want to be at a bar with people who are drinking. I mean, I don't mind, but I really do not want to be there. Not, not because it looks strange, but because for me, it is strange. I don't drink alcohol. I don't want to be around people who are drinking. If you drink, that's your business. I don't care. But do I want to be around people who are drinking? No, I do not. Have I been around people who drink? Yes. All the time. I mean, I went to Notre Dame. Hello. But also, I mean, I work with people who are not Muslim. They drink alcohol. They smoke weed. They do whatever else, whatever people do. I can't stop you. I don't even want to stop you. I don't even care. Do whatever you want. But don't give me dirty looks because I don't want to be around it or because I'm fasting and I can't be around it or I just don't want to do it. Call me a Puritan. Call me whatever. I don't care. I'm not going to compromise anything that I believe for anybody. I'm not doing it. I used to be somebody who would just be like, nah, it's okay. You guys, you can drink your 12 pack of beer while I'm sitting here watching. And I'll just sit over here and drink my water, whatever the hell. No, now I'm just like, no, please. Now I will remove myself from situations where I feel uncomfortable or I just won't show up. Or I could be your designated driver. I don't have a problem with that. I'll be your DD. You don't have to take an Uber. Make sure you get home safely. That's fine too. 
you'll always have a designated driver in a Muslim. <laughs> we'll always be your designated driver. But yeah, but during Ramadan, I mean, I, I remember, but there was no, like, it, it wasn't like, okay, well, she's fasting and she's new here. We're just going to reschedule. There was no rescheduling. I think they were just so, like, put out by that. They were just so surprised. And then that was the end of it. There was no, oh, tell us about that. Maybe we can have, like, a a, a, a sundown dinner or something or, you know. We could have a feast and invite you. No, there was none of that. Which is fine. Again, all fine, all good. When people show you who they are, believe them the first time. Believe them. Like, that set the tone, I feel like, for the whole time that I was there. It was just, I didn't fit in. Muslims tend to go into business for ourselves because we can set the rules then. We can set the rules and we'll give time off for prayer. Or we'll just take it. We will stop what we are doing to break our fast. We will schedule our lives around the breaking of the fast so that we can have time to eat. Ramadan is only 30 days. At the end of the 30 days, when it's all over, when it's all said and done, what do we do? We party. Woo! Yes, we party. We party. The next, the like the last night of Ramadan, we're getting ourselves ready to go for Eid. Eid is the festival. We get to celebrate one that we completed Ramadan, or that we were even able to make it through Ramadan, or that we increased our whatever we're celebrating. We increased our charity. We increased our learning of the Quran. We were able to make it through without getting angry with anybody. <laughs> Whatever we're celebrating that day, Eid, the day after the last night of Ramadan, we celebrate, we go to the masjid, we pray in congregation. We're all dressed up. We're all dressed up. I would compare it to Christians going in for Easter or any Sunday service, whatever. But for us, it's our holiday. That's our big holiday. Eid is our big holiday. There are two of them. This one happens. Eid al-Fitr happens after Ramadan. And so, yeah, we party. We get gifts. We give gifts. We get them. There's candy. There's food. We go, we, we pray, and then we see people we haven't seen in a long time. Everybody's looking good, and we're all hugging, and there's all this fellowship, and we're just all in love, and it's so great, and it's so wonderful, and I don't have to work that day. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. But mostly, I mean, when we were kids, we would get so many toys for eat. Like, we would toys and toys and toys for Eid and I just I loved it you know getting gifts is wonderful but also giving them is wonderful too right you love to give things to people again increase your charity you know I love it it's a fun time the kids get to we, we would have usually um we would have something for for families like a skating party or um any kind of like a, a festival, like a indoor festival or whatever. We have uh, 
carnival rides, anything. It's usually to encourage people to come out with their families and celebrate the ending of uh, Ramadan. And you're happy, but you're also sad because during Ramadan, people are on such, I don't want to say their best behavior, but they're trying. Really, they are on their best behavior. I don't, I don't mean it to sound like we're phony or anything. We're certainly not. But it's easier to be good during Ramadan. It's easier to be good during Ramadan. And so people are good. It's not just that the incentives are greater, but there's not that burden of having the, the, the devil whispering to you, you know, encouraging you to be a liar and deceitful and mean and ugly. It's just easier <laughs> to be good. It's easier. And so people, and people are in a good mood. Even when we're fasting, we're in a good mood. We're so much nicer to each other. We're giving, we're caring, we're thoughtful, and it's wonderful. So when Ramadan leaves, we're not, we're happy, but we're also so sad because it's such a blessed, wonderful month. And we want those, we want it. We, it's like a friend. It's like a, 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 a warm blanket on a cold day. It's like your companion. It's, it, it makes you feel good. It, it encourages you to be good. And so when it's gone, you miss it. And you hope you're able to make it back the next year. I mean, everything is by Allah's permission. And we, if we do Ramadan the best that we can, we hope to make it back the next year. And we always say, well, inshallah, next year I'll be better. And we hope we make it back because we want that feeling again, that good feeling of Ramadan and the blessings and the favors and the kindness and the mercy. And inshallah, we make it through this Ramadan. We make it through without any hiccups, without any bad things without any whatever inshallah we make it through and that it is good for us and if you know someone who is fasting please be kind to them be nice to them don't go to them with any shenanigans or problems <laughs> don't invite them to your happy hour <laughs> be good to people be good people and this has been Ayana Explains It All, brought to you by Facts, Figures, and Enlightenment. Have a good week.